All right, welcome. Let's hope we don't need this guy. We're going to put him over here as a prayer. Stay right there. We are so glad that y'all are here with us this morning. Uh, man, we have a, this, I'll tell you right now, this is a pastor's sermon. Um, you don't. You don't do what I'm doing as a, a calling or a job unless you really care about people's hearts. And now, that's not always 100%. Sometimes you kind of find yourself kind of taxed or frustrated. And, but for the most part, you do this because you care about wanting to help folks. You, you really care about folks. And this sermon, I think, between this week and next week, I feel like it's really going to be helpful. I feel like it's going to really bring some good medicine for busy people. So I'm, I'm excited and hopeful about this week and next week. Uh, I'll explain as we get a little, little further down in the next few minutes what we're doing. Uh, we're going to continue our morning in prayer, and then we'll come back around to our sermon. Uh, we're going to pray for a Persian people group of Iran, uh, 38 million strong. Uh, we're going to pray for another church in our community for C3 and Commerce, uh, David Ferguson and Whitney and his fellow pastors there. Uh, at the church in commerce, and um, y'all join me, and we'll pray for these folks. Lord, we are thankful that we have the chance to lift up a people group this morning. We're thankful that you care about uh, these uh, foreign uh, peoples that that we're not familiar with, that we can bring them before you because they're not foreign to you. We're thankful that you know every person, you know every day, every every day that's numbered of every single person, every hair on their head is numbered, and that's that kind of knowledge is hard to fathom. Lord, we come to you knowing that you are fully aware of this people group that we're bringing before you, the Persians of Iran. Lord, we want to beg you for their, um, their hearts. We want to ask you to draw them to your name, to draw them to be part of your people. Lord, we are aware of uh, a budding uh, discouragement and frustration with Islam among this people group. Lord, we pray that you would connect that um, discontent, disruption, and interruption in their uh, historical faith, Lord, that you would bring that into an intersection with uh, the good news about Christ, Lord, that you would give them visions and dreams, and you would couple that with people that have to go, people that can't stay here with the good news um, inside, Lord, that they just have to take that to the far corners. We pray that you would mobilize people, Lord, as we pray for people groups every single Sunday. We pray that you are mobilizing and burdening and equipping and then eventually sending your people to the far corners to connect to these people groups all over the world. Lord, also this morning we want to pray for another church in our community. We're thankful for our relationship with C3 and Commerce and uh, so uh, blessed to have shared years of ministry alongside them, Lord. We are thankful for David and Whitney and just a dear brother and sister and um, thankful for his burden for pastor pastoring and shepherding and uh, leading God's people and his burden for those who don't know you in a commerce area, his burden for uh, transitioning um, the, the many people groups that come through the university there. Lord, I'm thankful that he has a view to the nations through the little short window that they have with young people that can take the good news back to the far corners. Lord, we pray that you would encourage David and Whitney and the fellow pastors and their families, the deacons, Lord, that you would bring a, a, a fresh wind of encouragement to them as they are about the work, that you would give them 
a view of what you're doing, but still guiding them and sustaining them with not having to see you at work, but walking by faith instead. We do pray for little windows, Lord. and pray they won't need them, but we do ask you to just give them a view of the great work that they're about. Lord, encourage them and sustain them. Bless them in the work of uh, enjoying you out loud in commerce. Lord, I pray that you would minister to this people this morning. Lord, we are a terribly busy people. Just collectively, our tongues are hanging out and um, we're ventilating, gassed, spent. Our heads are spinning with all the things that are going on in the world around us. Lord, we ask you to bring some help and healing and wholeness and health to these people this morning, Lord. I pray for those who are with us online as well, that they'll be encouraged and blessed in the time that we spend together. I pray for those who will listen to this message later on this week in their cars, in their workplace, Lord, that you will bless all that spend time hearing from you this morning through your word. I'm praying these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word from Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Lord, bless our time in your word this morning. Speak to us, equip us, move us, and help us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Y'all go ahead and hit those lights for me. Alex? Okay, we are in a series. Um, If you're here for the first time this morning, let me kind of help you. You're going to be parachuting into something that we've been doing the last few weeks. We're in a series of sermons called God and His People. We have a yearly opportunity to revisit, whether it's in a sermon or a series of sermons, what in the world we're doing here. I don't know about you, but I need it. I need it because I can find that I have amnesia. I forget what we're doing, and I forget what what this thing is about, and I forget what's supposed to be moving us, what's supposed to be guiding us, what's supposed to be energizing us. So this yearly visit is as much for me as it is for you. We all need this yearly visit. For us right now, it's a series of Sundays, and we're sort of looking through the story of God and his people in the Exodus to try and make sense of how God moved then and helping us understand how God moves now. There's a potential for us to look at these old stories back in these dusty pages of our Old Testament and look at those things and think about, oh, those things happened then, and that's the way God moved then, and not realize that God still moves. That God moved then in a very real way with very real people, and God is still moving now in a very real way with real people, and we're looking at each other. We're them. It's a yearly opportunity for us to stop down and say, what are we even doing here? And this year we're looking through this story of what God did at this point 3,500 years ago to shed light on what he's doing now, like right now in this room. It's a danger of us looking back and saying, well, that was real and this is make-believe. 
That was the real stuff. This stuff is just kind of a shadow of the substance that's back there. You know, ironically, this is more substance where we are in right now than that was. That was shadow to where we are right now. Man, I hope this will be an encouragement to you this morning. I hope this series has been an encouragement to you. Uh, we have, over the last few weeks, we've just considered what God has done with His people. He's uh, delivered His people from slavery. He's baptized them. Okay, he's moved them through the Red Sea. Paul called it a baptism. And now, this morning, we're going to be considering where He's giving His people the law. This people is receiving this law at Sinai. This is the mountain that God actually showed up with Moses, and the, that was at that point called Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are the same place. And God told Moses then, you're going to visit me here again with your people. You're going to come back right here, and this is exactly where he is, right here at Sinai where he's getting the law that God is giving to his people. He's delivered his people, and he's freed his people, and then he's giving them the law. Just make a little note inside, maybe kind of in the back of your head there. The cart is officially before the horse in this. I'm going to revisit that later. If you're curious about what in the world is he talking about. I'm going to say those things again. He's delivered his people from slavery. He's baptized them, and now he's giving them the law. The cart is officially before the horse. We'll come back to that later on in the morning. I want you to notice also, just in the flow of the Ten Commandments here, the section of the Ten Commandments starts around chapter 20, verse 1, that's sort of the context, and it goes uh, through, um, let's see where the last commandment. The last commandment is in verse 17, so it officially ends in verse 17. I want you to notice the airtime that the Sabbath receives. Okay, the Sabbath is what we're talking about this morning. Notice the airtime. It gets more airtime even then, the number two, you should not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness. It gets more airtime content-wise than any of the other commandments. This is apparently a pretty important issue. It shows up all over our Old Testaments. It shows up all over our New Testaments as well. It saturates the Gospels. It's a large part of the reason why Jesus was crucified, because of his handling of the Sabbath. Man, what a great consideration we have this morning. What an important place. I feel like we're standing on holy ground this morning, right there on Horeb, right there on Sinai, considering together what God has for his people today in 2021. Verse 8 is a nice guide for just kind of getting acquainted with the, uh, with the sort of the major points here. I'll just unpack a little bit of the luggage through verse 11, but then I have some satellites we're going to go to this morning. Uh, four or five different places, most of them in the book of Exodus, uh, one in the book of Ezekiel. Okay, and then we're just going to have some applications at the end. Okay, so that's the map, the little audio map for the morning. But let's just sort of unpack verse, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. The Sabbath day was really the seventh day of the week. That's what's described right here in verse 10. The seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. It officially began Friday evening... And it went through Saturday evening. Okay, so it wasn't midnight to midnight. It was Friday evening through Saturday evening. The commandment here is to remember. Remember is a word that we, we met last week. Remember and recollect are two different things, right? If a man recollects his anniversary, he's in big trouble. If he remembers it, now he's getting somewhere. Remembering it means you're observing it. 
It means you're celebrating it. It means you're practicing it. That's what the commandment here is, to observe and celebrate and keep in an active way the Sabbath. A better word there that you could write off in your margin there is observe. Okay, Observe and remember are synonymous. Okay, And there's a little in order to here. Remember the Sabbath day in order to are to keep it holy. The thought there is keep the Sabbath day, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it. Okay, so I'm a funny way to kind of reword this. Set this part or set this day apart by setting this day apart is a nice way to think about it. Okay, that's what sanctify or making it holy means. Set this day apart as special, as unique, as different, as distinct. Set it apart as a day that's set apart. This day is remembered and observed and kept holy by keeping it, by setting it apart as distinct and different. Okay, there's some guidance here. There's not a lot of content here on how to observe this day. Okay, it's really very simple. In verse 10, let's look at it. On the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work. Okay, that's the first part. You shall not do any work, any. Okay, and then it goes on further. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. Even your critters don't work on this Sabbath day. Okay, that's the first part of this is really don't do any work. The second part of this in terms of how to observe this thing is to rest, and that's in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. So it's really very simple from this passage. Don't work you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your critters, your sojourner, and rest. Don't work and rest is the simple development right here from the passage. It seems really simple, doesn't it? Don't work rest. Okay, it seems very simple, but you'll see in a moment why it's a little more complicated than that. We'll come back to that in a moment. But let's develop the why, because the why is right here in front of us. In this phrase, four in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. I want you to read instead of the word for, put in there just kind of in your mind, or you can write it out in your margin, because you're commanded to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, and then jump down to verse 11, because in six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. The why and the, the because of the Sabbath is because God rested. He commanded it, and we do it because God rested himself. This is how he made it holy. He set it apart by setting it apart. He observed it himself. Now, we go back to that very simple phrase, don't work on the Sabbath, rest, because God did. Okay? Seems very simple. But here are a couple little questions that really make it complicated. Here's the first one. What constitutes work? Right? I mean, what constitutes work? What are we going to call work? Seems like a very simple question, but it's not a simple question. And the ancient Jews wrote volumes on this. They actually had a guide 
with 39 um, forbidden works. Okay, do you want to hear what some of these are? All right, here are the 39 forbidden works. Carrying, burning, extinguishing, finishing, writing, erasing, cooking, washing, sewing, tearing, knotting, untying, shaping, plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting, shift, sifting, grinding, kneading, combing. Man, is, is Don Rodden in here? I'm going to pick on your hairdo in the morning I see across the street. You can't comb on this day. No combing, no spinning, no dyeing, no chain stitching. Chain stitching, I don't know what that is. Warping, weaving, unraveling, building, demolishing, trapping, shearing. We're almost done. Slaughtering, skinning, tanning. Because that's not tanning. Like That's tanning hides. Smoothing and marking. Marking, like you can't even mark your notes as accomplished because you didn't do any accomplished notes on that day. Man, I, the reason I bring that question up is what constitutes work is because that very question got the nation of Israel in big trouble. They, come up with, they came up with all kinds of demands that were above and beyond and around the law in hopes of protecting the law. Jesus said of them, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. In other words, anything that has an ING on it, you can't do. Right? Heavy burdens, hard to bear, laid on people's shoulders. I think, frankly, this isn't the right question. The right question is not what constitutes work. The better question is, what is rest? What is rest? And that's where we're going to spend this morning and next week. Because there are all kind of complications that I don't want to bump to and be, bump into and be as irresponsible as the nation of Israel. Here are some of them. First of all, it's easy to pick on a single activity. Isn't it? Man, I shared with my, the men that we meet, uh, the men of our church, and all men in our church are invited from Wednesday morning prayer time at 6.30. We had a time of prayer this last Wednesday and we're discussing, man, I do not want this pulpit to turn into a soapbox. This is a pulpit. It's not a soapbox. But you have to know that I'm a human being too, and I have my own little versions of soapboxes. <laughs> but you would hope that this pulpit would be guarded from that. So I've asked these guys, please guard me and help me guard our pulpit from a soapbox because it's easy to pick on an activity. Okay? It's easy to replace the pulpit with a soapbox. Something else is, that makes it complicated is very unique circumstances of emergency services, medical personnel, fire personnel, police, these people have to work on Sundays, and thankfully, we're thankful that they do. Okay, and then there's the complication that we're assuming, making a mistaken assumption, I think, that we're talking about Sundays. I just did it, and I bet most people in the room said, yeah, we're talking about Sundays. What if we're not even talking about Sundays? What if we're talking about something altogether different that Sunday has a lot of activity on, or that has a lot of activity on Sundays? but we're not talking about a day of the week at all. Okay, it's a very complicated issue. We also have to deal with the issue of seasons. People go through different seasons, unique seasons, uh, with work and life and all kinds of activities that are brief 
And I can use this place as irresponsibly as the Sadducees and Pharisees to put this new law in front of you and impose tie, uh, put heavy burdens on your shoulders and tie you down with something. I think the better question and the more responsible approach this Sunday and next is to ask and answer, what is rest? What is the principle behind the Sabbath? That's what we're going to consider this Sunday. And next week, we'll deal with what does this look like in practice for modern busy Christians. Okay? So it's a two-part sermon. It was a one-part sermon. I was going to do it all this morning, but it would have been irresponsible. I wouldn't have been able to deal uh, uh, adequately with the second part of that. So we've turned it into a two-part sermon. So this Sunday, we're only dealing with the Sabbath rest in principle. Okay, so we've gathered some things up from this passage already, uh, just from this commandment, but I want to look at some of the commandments neighbors. Okay, y'all with me? Okay, we're going to look at a few neighbors. We're going to look at three neighbors to uh, this passage in Exodus 20. The first of them is in Exodus chapter 16. So flip over just a few pages to Exodus chapter 16. This is a familiar passage to us if you were here last week. This is the manna chapter. There were some Sabbath teachings in here that we really didn't even touch. And we left those untouched on purpose so that we could deal with them today. Okay? So remember, we're dealing with principle, Sabbath principle, okay? Here's the uh, passage in Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse 4. We'll look at verse 4 and 5, and then later on in the chapter. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, okay, that would be Friday, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Okay? They go out just like every other day, but what they gather is double. Okay, we'll talk more about that in a moment. Look down at verse 21. Morning by morning, they gathered it each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted, and on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that's left over lay aside to be kept until the morning. So they laid it aside until the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Okay, so the few things that we can sort of add into this conversation. Okay, we had this Ten Commandment little passage there that dealt with the con some of the content. This fleshes it out some more. First of all, this develops a little micro-miracle that's going to take place every single week. Every single Friday when they go out to gather manna, they're going to bend over just as much, they're going to pick up just as much, but it's going to end up being twice as much. Okay, they're not working twice as hard on Friday... God is stretching what they're doing. little micro-miracle where the yield is times two. They're twice as fruitful doing the same thing. This extra food provision is in conjunction with God's command. 
I made this point last week that God's commandments are guiding us into a place of blessing, into a garden full of trees. We tend to hear the negatives, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. We focus on that one tree we're not supposed to take part of, missing out on the fact that he guides us through commandments into these gardens full of trees. Take and eat from any and every tree in the garden. Take and eat, gather up on Fridays, and it's going to be twice as much. You're going to have two omers a person, one of those good old omers. God's blessings are in his commandments. And here they are instructed to bake and to boil and all that's left to lay aside to be kept till the morning, and it did not stink. Okay, so there is some work involved in their part. Some extra baking, some extra boiling, and whatever they don't get around to, Leave it, and God's going to make sure that it doesn't stink. It's going to have a little uh, extended shelf life. God extended that shelf life, and he also coupled that to and with empty fields. God extended the shelf life of what they gathered to where it didn't stink and didn't have worms, but he also on those days, those Sabbath days, left those fields empty. Okay? So man's working and God is working. Let's grab the next passage. We're going to the neighbor on the other side of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22. We're just gathering up some more data here. Okay? We're not, we're not uh, just data, data gatherers. We're doing this for a purpose. Okay? We're building a construct of something we can make sense of here. Okay? So here's some more content from Exodus chapter 23, beginning in verse 10. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox, your donkey, may have rest, that the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Okay, that's a new word we haven't met yet. Some of the same concepts in that second verse, but they will be refreshed. But this new thing that's introduced here is this notion of giving the land a rest for a year. See, y'all don't realize this, but we're in cahoots with the land and the earth. The earth was cursed because of our sin. You understand that? And our earth is anxiously awaiting Christ's return. It's groaning, in fact, is the way Paul described it. And we're going to be redeemed along with a new heavens and new earth. Man, this earth is part of the story and part of the deal here. And God builds into it, give the earth a rest. Give your orchard a rest. Give your vineyard a rest. Give the land a rest, one out of seven years. And give your creatures a rest, one day out of the week. And your people and your servants and your family members. So they may be, a beautiful word, refreshed. Man, isn't that a good word? Let's just stop and consider that for a moment. Does anybody not need that word? Does anybody not need some of that? Man, I, I know y'all do. Let's just consider we're talking about something really sweet and refreshing today. God has given this for their refreshment. There's a thought here, too, in this developing, this thought of parking the land for a year. I want you to consider if you're ag agrarian, I mean you're a farmer, you park your land for a year, your business is out there dead for a year. 
Okay, your means of providing for your family is on hold for a year. Just consider the trust involved in this provision. Your food is out there, your lifeblood is out there, and yet you're going to leave it alone for a year. You have to wonder what the neighbors must have been thinking. Okay, you may not realize this, but this was just purely a Hebrew gift, this thing called the Sabbath. You know, the Amalekites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Hivites, the, the Philistines, they didn't have a Sabbath. You realize that? They didn't have a day off a week. Thank you, Hebrew people, right? Anybody else in the room? Yes, go, thank you. If it was up to the Gentiles and the Romans, we'd be working every day of the week. This is a Hebrew thing, an Israelite thing. And all the neighbors, you can imagine as they're in Canaan, all the neighbors around them are looking around and going, what in the world are they doing? Lazy bunch? A day of the week, they're sitting idle. A year out of seven, they're not even plowing their fields. You know what we ought to do? We ought to get ahead of them. That's what the neighbors are saying. That lazy bunch, we're going to get out there and get ahead while they're sitting there dragging their feet, sleeping in one day of the week. Okay? Just imagine how weird this people look. Look, weird, I want you to couple that, that thought weird with the word distinct and different and set apart. Those are all kind of synonymous, <laughs> sadly. Weird, distinct, and set apart. This is a very unique thing given to Israel. God, by the way, only gave his law to this people. Nobody else has a Sabbath. Okay, let's look at one more neighbor in Exodus chapter 31. Okay, you guys are doing good. Exodus chapter 31, beginning in verse 12. I know there's some currency. I'm spending some currency taking you to different places, but I'm building something. So you're going to need this. You're going to need this. So I'm, I'm willing to spend the currency based on what's going to happen later on in the morning. Exodus chapter 31, beginning in verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it's holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among its people. Let's go back to that last couple of verses. First of all, it's a sign. I'm going to come back to this death issue. Let's talk about the sign thing for a minute. I, I hope that something kind of was you know, stirring in your mind as that word sign came out, where you're thinking about a sign between me and you. That kind of sounds familiar. It kind of sounds like something that's happened before in the story with Noah, where there's a sign that, the man, that people are going to see and that God's going to see also, that God's going to remember a covenant. It's a covenant sign, and of course, hopefully you're thinking about a rainbow. That's what's going on here. The Sabbath is actually like a rainbow in that sense. It's a sign between God and man. It's a weekly thing, a weekly observation, a weekly practice, and a one-in-seven-year practice that God's people may know that the Lord sets apart and sanctifies His people. Connect the thought of observation to knowing and realize, again, just like last week, I don't know that you can know apart from observing. It's a knowing observance. It's an observing knowance. I don't know, making up all kinds of words there. They go together. Knowing and observing go together when God's talking signs. 
You're going to see this thing once a week, and guess what? I'm going to see this thing once a week. You're going to do some things to prepare for it once a week as you do some extra baking and some extra boiling. And guess what? I'm going to do some things to prepare for it as well. I'm going to make sure that what you gather is two times the yield. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure that what you gather doesn't stink and, and have worms the next day. And guess what else I'm going to do? I'm going to leave the fields barren and empty to help you obey. Man, this is a sign, a visible way that we can know, or the people of God can know, that they are distinct, that God sanctifies and sets apart His people. His people are doing something in this sign, a knowing observance, and God's doing something in this sign. Okay, and then there was that passage I just read that hopefully you're kind of scratching your head over. Death for the Sabbath breaker. Death for the one who profanes it. Sounds really, really strong. A little bit over the top, doesn't it? I mean, we're just talking about a rest day, right? Death for the one who doesn't observe the rest day. A serious issue, apparently, that God has provided rest for his people. It's a gift from a good God to provide rest and refreshment. It's a very serious matter. And then we'll continue there on that same verse, just a couple more verses, something else I want you to see here in verse 15. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel should keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed God was refreshed man this thing's getting crazy now isn't it first of all we're talking about this commandment then we're talking about this commandment that God is giving them so that his so that our critters and so that our people that are with us and so we ourselves can find refreshment and then God points out that hey by the way guess what on my sabbath my only sabbath that I've ever ta- ever taken I was refreshed and God himself was refreshed alright so let's gather up some of the scoop that we've gotten from these passages rest is commanded okay, it was given to Israel wasn't given to the Canaanites, Hittites, Jebusites, Philistines Hivites, Amorites those are all the ites I can think of at the moment rest was given just to Israel but it was commanded okay Secondly, it takes some prep work ahead of time to prepare for rest. Gather, bake, boil, and then lay aside what you don't get to. We also glean from these passages so far that those practicing it will have to trust God. On that day, where the, on that year where the field is left fallow, and the neighbors, the Hittites, the Jebusites, all the other ites are out there working hard in that year, and you're sitting there thinking, man, I hope the Lord provides. I'm going to have to trust Him in this year. I'm going to trust that He's going to take what was there in the sixth year and that it's going to spread as a double portion like He does on that Friday. I'm going to have to trust that that double portion then doesn't gather worms and stink. I'm going to trust that God is doing something in this day, this sign that He's given us of a Sabbath year is going to require tremendous trust. For a whole year? Rest is commanded. It takes some prep work ahead of time. 
Those practicing will have to trust God and they're going to look a little weird while they do so. While they're looking all distinct and different and unique in the middle of a bunch of busy neighbors running 100 miles an hour. Lastly, it's a sign, a weekly sign between man and God. Man sees it, a knowing observance. And God sees it, just like a rainbow. God sees it and remembers, oh yeah, I need to make sure that double portion is a double portion. Oh yeah, I need to make sure it doesn't stink. And oh yes, I need to leave those fields empty on the Sabbath. This is a really sweet provision for Israel. Man, I, I don't know what, where people get, get their idea of the God of the Old Testament being this cosmic killjoy, this terrible God that's just a God of wrath, want to crush everybody. They're missing stories like this. They're missing the stories of a God who's liberated his people from slavery, who's washed them through the Red Sea, and who now has given them a garden full of trees, of food from the sky, and a time of rest. The old mean God... Give me rest. I don't need no rest. I mean, really, I'm being facetious. What a great God. Why would he even care? Why is he mindful of us that he would give us daily, weekly, or I should say weekly rest, a day of the week, and then a yearly rest? This is a sweet provision from God, who, a God who is compassionate, a God who's considerate, a God who's thoughtful, who's caring, a God that is mindful of his people. What a great God, right? Man, let's just stop right there and just enjoy that about our God. You would think that the nation of Israel would be like, God, you're so awesome. This Sabbath is just the best ever, right? I love the Sabbath. What a great God he's given us this day off. He's commanded us to rest. This is going to be so fun. One day of the week where we're just going to rest, where we're not going to work. Pretty straightforward. But man, the nation of Israel, let's just, let's just see. This is the last satellite I want you to go to in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, I'll, let you, I'll give you a minute to kind of find it. You might have to look at the table of contents. I don't have a page number for you. My Bible is going to be different from yours. It's about um, two-thirds of the way through the Bible. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 20. Ezekiel is a commentary from 900 years later. Okay, this beautiful gift has been given to God's people. Ezekiel is a commentary from 900 years later. A commentary from a guy who's actually in his first year of ministry, being called into the ministry, going into exile into Babylon. Being ripped from his home in or around Jerusalem, I don't know where he lived, and then being dragged off to Babylon. Okay, this commentary is from a guy 900 years after God gave them the Sabbath Provision. So let's just see what Ezekiel has to say about this in chapter 20, beginning in verse 10. Ezekiel's are going to recount some of the things that are familiar to us. I, I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. Okay, We know exactly what he's talking about. 900 years earlier for him. I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. 
How cool is that? This guy, Ezekiel, is talking about something that had happened 900 years earlier that we're now talking about 2,400 years later. The very same thing. How cool is that? He's referring to this very same event. I gave them my Sabbath as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But, not a good but here, but the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbath they greatly profaned. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end of them. But I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I brought them out. They rebelled against me and they profaned the Sabbaths by not observing them. And God says what I should have done is I should have crushed them. But I didn't. I stayed my hand at this point. Let's continue reading. In verse 15, Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land that I had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands, because they rejected my rules, did not walk in my statutes, profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. He's speaking of that first generation in the wilderness. They profaned his Sabbaths, and their heart went after idols. Man, aren't you wondering which is the chicken and which is the egg? You know what I'm saying there? Idolatry and not observing the Sabbaths, they're in the same coop. Aren't they chicken and egg? They're right there. Do we need to know which one came first? They're just together. Not observing the Sabbath, profaning it, rebelling against God. And then idolatry? Let's keep reading and see what happens. That's the first generation. In the wilderness. Nevertheless, my eye spared them, and I did not destroy them or make a full end of them in the wilderness. They're going to die there, but I didn't annihilate this people. Instead, he passed it on to their children. Let's hope their children get it right. Okay, let's see what happens. And I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I'm the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes. Be careful to obey my rules. Keep my Sabbaths holy, distinct, set apart, different observe them practice them that they may be a sign between me and you that you may know that i am the lord your god a knowing observance but the children rebelled against me golly man this is such bad news isn't it it's like relentless the nation of israel given this amazing thing and in the first generation they squandered it and then second generation away the children are doing the very same thing. They did not walk in my statutes. They were not careful to obey my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. They profane my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my wrath on them and spend my anger against them in the wilderness. But I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I brought them out. And God said I didn't crush them either. I actually delivered them into the promised land. Man, this is a little look back. Ezekiel's looking back, and man, things are not good with this Sabbath thing. And who knows, again, whether it's the chicken or the egg, but we see idolatry, we see profaning the Sabbath, we see they're not observing the Sabbath, and those things are all in the same coop. And then the statement from Ezekiel's time, 900 years later, is a couple pages over. It's the last place I'm having you turn this morning. 
in chapter 22, verse 26. Y'all have done really good. Hang in there. Look at this passage. Chapter 22, verse 26. Her priests have done violence to my law. This is 900 years later. Ezekiel was recalling what they did in the wilderness. At this point, he's talking about his own time. He's talking about why he's been ripped from his home and drawn off to Babylon. Likely made a eunuch in the king's court. Man, that's rough. That's bad news. He says, Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They've made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they disregarded my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. See, at first they were profaning the Sabbaths. And God said, but I'm going to stay my hand. 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 And eventually God said, I'm not going to stay my hand anymore because now they're profaning my name. And they're going into Babylon. Whether it's the chicken or the egg, they're both in the coop. Profaning my Sabbaths. Living in rebellion. Not observing this wonderful gift that I've given them. They're going to Babylon. You know that passage that I read earlier about death to the one who's a Sabbath breaker? We could now add to that exile to the one to the Sabbath breaker. Exile to the peoples that are Sabbath breakers. Exile is not a good thing. Exile is you're ripped from your home. You lose your land. You lose your freedom. And you become eunuchs in the king's court. Man, that's graphic. Graphic. So what are we supposed to do with this? I mean, I hope you're wondering that by this point. You're like, all right. You hung in there. You did a good job hanging in there, kind of hearing all that data. Okay, this thing's given to Israel. It's a gift. They profaned it. They rebelled against him. The first generation, the second generation, now 900 years later, they're still doing it, and now they're drawn off to Babylon, to exile. What are we supposed to do with this, though? In 2021, do we just look back at this thing and go, man, those guys were a mess. Poof. Glad we're living now, not living then, back when everybody was so messy. Right? I mean... What are we supposed to say? I hope you're wondering what in the world we're supposed to do with this. I, I want to just, just maybe look at one other passage. You don't have to look there because I promise you that I wasn't going to have you look anywhere else. But I'm going to read this passage because it's sort of a filter, maybe a lens for us to begin to make sense of this thing. This thing gets tons of airtime. I hope you want to make sense of it. Okay, here's a little filter and a lens. In Mark chapter 2, you can listen to this passage or you can just kind of, if you want to turn there, you can read along. Mark chapter 2, beginning in 20, verse 23, they're always talking Sabbath in the Gospels. Always dealing with Jesus on the Sabbath and what he did on the Sabbath. It says, one Sabbath he's going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck, pluck heads of grain. Ooh, I'm going to tell on y'all. See, you plucking those heads of grain, all those ING, plucking. They were plucking. ING word, right? It was in the list, I'm sure. I can't remember for sure, but I bet it was. Harvesting was in there. I know that was in there. So they're gleaning. You know, they're plucking heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, 
Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. For us to begin to make sense of this, the only way we can begin to make sense of this thing, this thing has so much storyline, so vivid, all these details of what's unfolded in the Sabbath, the only way is for us to stand on what we can know for sure. The Sabbath is not old news. We can know for sure it's so much of the story of the Gospels. A mishandling of the Sabbath, misunderstanding of the Sabbath is a big part of the reason Jesus was crucified. And Jesus says right here, the Sabbath was made for man. And oh, by the way, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He didn't say, I I will be eventually, or I used to be the Lord of the Sabbath. This is old news. He didn't say, pass on, there's nothing to see here. Just keep going. Sabbath stuff is tired, dead, insignificant, unimportant, irrelevant. He says the Sabbath is made for man. And he says he's Lord of it. So it's not old news. We're not reading history this morning. We're dealing with something that very much has to do with us. So we're going to start right there. The Sabbath was made for man. That stands. And Jesus is Lord of it. That stands too. Okay? We're only going to gr- draw out four things this morning that I think that we can glean in terms of a Sabbath principle. And the first of those four is a Sabbath rest is for our good. Remember, next week we're going to bring definition to what it actually is, how we are to practice it as a modern, busy followers of Christ. But we have to start right there and know that it is for our good. Sabbath rest principle is for our good. It's God's gift to his people, and it still stands. Hebrews says there still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And Hebrews is, by the way, a New Testament book written to a church in Rome. It is for our good. It's something he found refreshment in. If there's anybody that didn't need it, In the history of the world, ever, in eternity, it would have to be the Lord. Yet, He found refreshment in it. It's for our good. God did it, after all. It characterizes His movement. It characterizes the Lord's movement. You know, I don't know if you really think about this very often, but Jesus was never in a hurry. You notice that as you read the Gospels, he's never in a hurry. Hey, Jesus, uh, Lazarus is about to die. You need to rush to Bethany. Oh, okay. Um, we'll, we'll go eventually. We'll go. Jesus, can you turn this water to wine? You know, his mom's scurrying around for the first miracle. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. He's not in a hurry. 
Jesus was never hustling around, never in a hurry. He moved on a different rhythm. He was a three-mile-an-hour God very much on this earth. By three-mile-an-hour, I mean that he walked at three miles an hour everywhere he went. You realize he could have shown up right now with Internet and Oprah and all the ways that he could have been interviewed and... Right? I mean, like for, interview, for Oprah to interview him is what I meant. He could have shown up right now and zapped out his message to the world. Oop! Farthest corners. But instead, he showed up and walked at three miles an hour. Gracious sakes alive, he moved on a different rhythm, didn't he? Can a room full of people who are running 100 just stop down for a moment and go, okay, wait a second. God rested, and God moved at three miles an hour. And God gave his, this people this, this thing called rest one day a week that brings life and vitality. You have to wonder why so many of his miracles of healing and life and help were on the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath brings life and vitality and health. He gave us this for his good, for our good. What a great, God. He had time for all the things. He had time to eat with people. Man, where's Jesus? Oh, he's eating with some tax collectors tonight. Golly, he's just hanging out. He just spends time with people. Who's he eating with tonight? Uh, I think some prostitutes. Oh, okay. That's going to make some people mad. He's got time. He's got time for visiting with folks. Uh, Samaritan woman with a bunch of husbands. No, none of them. Bunch of men, no husbands. He got time. Everybody else is scurrying around. Can we find some food? We're all hungry. He's taking time with a Samaritan woman by well. Jesus had time because he was moving on a different rhythm and a different schedule. He had time for prayer. Hours spent in prayer. He was never in a hurry. He moved on a different rhythm and a different schedule, and he's built a different rhythm, and he's built rest into his people for our good. I mentioned our prayer time the other day, and Wednesday morning prayer time, I've shared with these guys, man, I don't, I don't want to pick on any activities. I don't want this to become a soapbox. In our time of prayer after that, we often spend time talking about things, and then we go to the Lord in prayer. And one of our men, I'm not going to identify who it is, not because he would, he would probably, I just didn't ask his permission as I'm realizing I'm telling this story, so I'm not going to identify him. But he prayed that, that we wouldn't view busyness as a respectable sin. I, I opened my eyes during prayer, and I wrote it down in my notebook because that's good, right? Because it is a respectable sin, isn't it? Man, do you know how busy they are? <laughs> They're so hardworking. Man, they're always busy. Man, I want you to consider for a moment that busyness at the expense of God-given, God-provided rest is sinful. Man, now we're going to be real careful how we lay this thing out next week, but we can say that for sure right now. Busyness at the expense of God-given rest God seeking rest is sinful. Man, we can know that full well. 
And we can find busyness in work, recreation, hobbies, anything that might regularly and regularly and frequently take us away from resting in God with God's people. I found a place where Jesus actually encouraged his disciples to rest. I thought it was kind of cool. I'll just share this passage with you. You don't need to look at it. It's in Mark chapter 6. The heading actually says, um, let me see if I can find it here. Mark chapter 6. There it is. He sends out the 12 apostles. Sends them out to do mission work. They come back and they're giving him the lowdown. Here's what all happened. They cast out many demons. They anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And then later on in the chapter... Jesus says, it says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. (sighs) Do you love a Jesus like that? Do you love a God like that that says, come away and rest a while? There has to be a regular time for the people of God. Often, I would say, when we say, I'm laying aside this unbaked and unboiled stuff and going to trust the Lord with the remainder. I'm laying aside what I didn't get around to and I'm going to rest and I'll have to believe that God won't let it stink. Right? I need to hear that. Does anybody else need to hear that? Can I say it again? Can we just let that kind of float in the room here for a minute? There has to be a time when we lay aside what we don't get around to and just rest believing that God won't let it stink. God works for you when you do this. He will... Double the yield on the day prior. He'll double the yield in the moments prior. And he will extend the shelf life of what you just gathered. And guess what? There's a couple to that. There's bankruptcy in the field. When you go days without rest, weeks without rest, you might make more money, but you're going to find bankruptcy in the field. No manna. No nourishment. You might have more money. You might have more stuff. You might be better at whatever activity you're doing. You might be selected for unique things, for promotion or whatever, but you'll be bankrupt in the field. To what end will those things make you happy? Some measure of bankruptcy in the field. I've joked about my dog for years, Major, in his kennel. Anytime there's squirrels running around outside, he's chasing inside that kennel like he's going to catch one. I'm like, boy, you wouldn't even know what you do when you catch that thing. You want to catch a squirrel so bad? And I don't know if you know anything about squirrels, but if he were to catch a squirrel, that thing would eat his lunch. But yeah, I know you want that thing bad, but that thing will kill you, boy. That thing will eat your lunch. 
That's what I want to say about a lot of these things that we think we'll find out in the field on that day when we're not resting in God. That thing's going to eat your lunch. Man, money, promotion, and all those other things, those can be way overrated. Here's the second thing. These are second, second and third are really brief. Here's the second. Sabbath rest requires work and preparation. We'll talk about this more next week. Sabbath rest requires work and preparation, extra boiling, extra baking, pre-preparing, forward-looking planning to rest well. You have to prepare and work in advance to rest well. Here's the third thing. Sabbath rest requires and fosters trust. Giving the land a year off means you're working to rest, and it also means you're trusting the God in the year that you rest or in the day that you rest or in the season that you rest. While the non-God-trusting neighbors are saying, what in the world is wrong with these weird people? Why aren't they busy as the rest of us? Why aren't they out here doing this thing we're doing all the time? Why are they cordoning off time and saying, this is time that I need to gather with God's people. This is time where I need to take the things that bring me health and vitality and life. Because there's bankruptcy in that field. And I know it. The non-trusting God, uh, non-God-trusting neighbors are running a hundred. They don't have the Sabbath. You do. We do. They don't have it. So don't try and foist it on them either. Don't try and foist your expectations and schedule on them either. If folks don't know the Lord and they're not knocking, walking with God, they don't have your law. They don't have your Sabbath. They need your Christ. That'd be my encouragement. Let them know your Savior first. And let that day of rest matter come later. Here's the fourth thing. Sabbath rest displays the character and nature of our God. This law was given just to Israel. And it's not some sort of personal moral code for each of the individual Israelites to follow. It is something that the people of God together will follow as they display the person of God, the character of God, as they move in a chaotic world, they're putting the character of God on display. And when the people of God say, this time is cordoned off, this space regularly is cordoned off, this is for the Lord, for nourishment, for life and vitality, what you're doing in that is you're showing a chaotic world what your God did. He rested Remember the because and the for? Why do we do it? Because God did it. When you rest, when you cordon off time and say, that's off limits, I need this time with God's people. I need this time with the Lord. I need this time to be fed, to be filled. What you're telling your neighbors and friends and workmates when you cordon off holy time you're doing more than telling them something. You're disclosing and displaying your God to them. You see how big that is? That's bigger than just you. That's bigger than you and your little energy, little flow of energy. I don't know if I need this so much. I don't care if you need it or not. I actually do. You need it. You just don't know you need it. But let's forget about you for a moment. You've been given the opportunity to put the character of your God on display whether you need it or not. 
in a chaotic, busy world? What a wonderful opportunity that's been put in front of us. We get to reveal God to a busy world running at 100 as we show them how our God moved. No other people have a Sabbath provision. This is ours. It's ours. Do we treasure it? Man, I hope so. I hope so. You know, this closing thought, you don't have to say yes to everything. You realize you're in control, right, of your schedule. You're not a passenger. I feel like I'm a passenger sometimes until I go, wait a second. I, I can say no to some things so that I'll have time for the best things. You know, the people of God should be a people that are characterized by saying no to quite a few things so that they can say yes to the best things. It's a respectable sin. Remember? Busyness. We're not supposed to be a busy people. We're supposed to have time to eat with one another. We're supposed to have time to eat with neighbors that may not know him, tax collectors or sinners. We're supposed to have time for a Samaritan woman at a well. We're supposed to have time to go go away to a desolate place and rest. Right? We're supposed to have time for prayer because we're moving at a different rhythm, at a different pace, because our God did it himself. He rested and found refreshment. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for this window that we need so badly, this window into this wonderful gift that you've given us of rest. Lord, we need this refreshment. Lord, I ask your involvement this coming week that the Holy Spirit will begin to help us sort through some of this as a people that collectively we can slow down and hear from you. That collectively as a people that we'll have time to eat, time to talk, time to visit, time to celebrate. Lord, we are thankful that in all that that we put you on display. What an unbelievable view. What an unbelievable gift and opportunity. Ah, we treasure this. Thankful, so thankful for this. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.